0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment.
1: From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Alisa Benson.
0: Welcome back to Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour Podcast. I am your host, Elisa Benson, and I'm joined in the Cosmopolitan.com Unicorner today by our senior writer, Prachi Gupta, who recently returned from a reporting trip in Jordan and Qatar. Hi, Prachi. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. You had a really incredible trip and put together this Giant feature package that's now live on cosmopolitan dot com um where you not only talk to refugees who are sort of figuring out how to survive, but you took a selfie with Michelle Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a really it was a really big view. Um it was a really, like whirlwind few days for you. So I invited Prachi onto the podcast to just share a little bit more about this experience that she had and these incredible stories that she put together. So um, Prachi, tell us, first of all, um, this the trip happened about a month ago. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so what was the impetus for you traveling halfway around the world with Michelle Obama? <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I still wonder that. Like, how did this happen? Right. <laughs> it seems so surreal, but um, no, so the White House has a great initiative called Let Girls Learn, and it's focus is bringing attention to the fact that there's a global education crisis and there are 62 million girls in the world who don't have an education. And, um, at the secondary level, there's a, a significant gap, um, like a gender gap that where women or young girls are really facing a lot of like cultural barriers and social barriers and legal and economic barriers to accessing education. And so, uh, cosmopolitan.com sent me and, uh, to and Nicholas Weissman, who's our great documentary uh, filmmaker and photographer, on the trip um, to cover basically Michelle Obama's keynote speech. She gave one at in Doha, Qatar, at the Wise Summit there on education. And this, was, and this was her first solo trip to the Middle East. Yes, in, yes, as a public figure. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So this was a really big. You know, deal for her. It was a really big deal for us, and you know, it was a real honor to be able to go. And part of the trip was also to bring focus and attention to how uh, education is affected by conflict. So, in the first part of the trip, we went to uh, Doha, Qatar, and covered Michelle Obama's remarks, and we interviewed her. And then, for the second part of the trip, we went to Amman in Jordan and met with a couple of families who've been affected by conflict.
0: And we have a clip, of, and we're going to talk about all of those pieces that you put together. We have a clip of Michelle Obama talking about the importance of education for girls. This is a clip from when you were sitting down face-to-face with her, interviewing her. So I'm going to go ahead and play this.
1: 62 million girls today aren't in school. And when I think about those girls, I think those are our girls, you know, every last one of them. And they all have just as much promise and potential as my daughters as I had when I was that age. Uh, It it is
0: an outrage. So that's Michelle Obama saying that the education crisis is an outrage. Um, I think you know, you can even sort of tell, hopefully, from listening to that, how personal this mission is for her, obviously, as a woman with two young daughters. Did you get a sense of, you know, did you have a chance to sort of really talk to her about why this mission is so personally important to her and why she feels like now is the time to sort of sort of shine a spotlight on this issue right now?
1: Um, yeah, I think, I think that right now we're seeing... Um, you know one she didn't go into a lot of detail about about the personal aspect um, but we do know that you know she has two as you mentioned two young daughters one of whom is getting ready to go to college and if you look at the opportunities that her daughters have had that she's had um, you know she talked about how just based on circumstances based on some where some of these young girls live they're not going to ever get Those opportunities or similar ones um, to achieve their potential, because just because of where they were born, Um, and that is, you know, as she was saying, that is an outrage, that is a tragedy, and I think that, um, you know, recent reports by I think the 2015 report by UNESCO that came out recently is showed that we've made significant progress in closing the gap uh, between you know out of school children between I think 2000 and 2012. We've seen significant improvement, but especially at the adolescent level, Mm -hmm. there's still, like, a significant, significant uh, gap for all children, boys and girls, Uh, but we also know that girls face higher barriers or more obstacles, generally, that keep them out of school that don't really affect boys.
0: Yeah, and can you—I know you mentioned that in your piece, and— can you talk a little bit about why that is the case? Because that might be surprising to some people to know that women or girls really are particularly affected by this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a broad ranging issue. There are so many reasons for this. But you'll see in particularly in developing uh, countries and poor communities, um, there are there could be legal implicate like legal reasons why like the laws are unequal and treat girls differently from boys um you'll find that in areas of conflict it can be harder for girls to go they're they're more exposed to sexual violence or even in the classroom where if they have male you know male teachers in a lot of these communities um that could put them these girls at threat so there are significant and and then also cultural norms so like if you if you're in a family that has limited means and also your cultural values are such that, you know, men are the ones predominantly go in and work, uh, a family has to make a really tough decision about, you know, who can they afford to send to school. And oftentimes sending the boy to school is the safer and more logical decision. And so what will happen is a girl might end up getting married. Um, You know, young girls are six times more likely to get married into a child marriage if they don't Go to education. So, and then what we see is that if that happens, their chances of going to school are pretty much over. They're not going to go back. You mm-hmm. know, they're going to be now. You know, raising children, and we see that this effect has such an amplification effect as well. So, so what we see um, when societies prioritize education, we see more prosperous societies. We see more empowered women. Um, we see the effects of this all across. Like, I was talking to uh, Rebecca Winthrop from the Brookings Institution, and she said that, you know, she's done research that actually helped inform the Let Girls Learn initiative, and she said that this is the most important economic issue in the world. This is the easiest investment that countries can make to create better societies and become more, you know, economically powerful and to achieve gender parity, so.
0: I th- I, think in, I think in the U.S., you know, we understand that education is important and a lot of people sort of believe that and i think sometimes it's easy to sort of forget that especially in times of war that other people aren't having access to especially women aren't having access to education and so i think as there's been a lot of focus on what's happening in syria and war in general in 2015, it feels like it's a more important time than ever to sort of be connecting that to sort of this failure to educate, especially young women. Um, But another thing on sort of a less war-y note that you mentioned in your piece is, you know, and this just ties into sort of attitudes worldwide about women, that even something like the fact that girls have their periods every month can be a barrier to education for them because maybe they aren't going to school because they have their periods, because they don't have, you know, because they live in a society where um, there's shame around menstruation. I thought that was an interesting point in your article.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see that um, not only is there a shame, but sometimes there just aren't sanitation, like sanitary facilities. They don't have economic resources uh, to even have the sort of products that you need to for feminine hygiene or the resources at school. Um, so yeah, there are you know, there are a lot of aspects to this there that are social, that are political, that are legal and economic, that prevent girls from going to school.
0: And so that's why Michelle Obama traveled around the world to give this speech. That's why you went to accompany her to sort of bring some of these issues to light. Um, And on a lighter note, you took a selfie with Michelle Obama. (laughs) (laughs) Also a really important thing to talk about. Um, I want to sort of I want to talk to you about that because it was a really fun thing that you were able to do with her. But I think before we should sort of save that and maybe like end on the fun Michelle Obama, so, the fun Michelle Obama selfie note but um, before we get to that I am happy to have a word from our fab sponsor the dudes at Mack Weldon. I hope they don't mind that I call them dudes but Mack Weldon we've talked about this on the podcast before they make this super high-end men's underwear undershirts socks and I like to think of it as being designed for sort of like the stinky man in your life that you still want to get close to. Um, They basically make all of their products out of a really premium fabric that is designed to sort of basically prevent against stinky, sweaty... Balls. Just going to come right out and say it. Just going to come right out and say it. So um, these products, they sent a bunch to the office for us to give to sort of the guys in our life. So a bunch of staffers gave them to their boyfriends, their husbands, their guy friends. All the feedback from this product was amazing. Um, Really, this product is designed to be for the guy who is wearing this all day long at work and going straight to the gym afterwards and then coming home and wanting to cuddle with you on the couch. So we're talking about it now because it's a really perfect holiday gift to give. Um, No one knows what every man needs better than Cosmo editors, can I just say. So MacWeldon.com, please check it out. You can use promo code COSMO to get 20% off your order. And the guys at MacWeldon are so sure that you're going to love your product, that they have a sort of money-back guarantee, no questions asked. You can return that stinky underwear to them if you're not happy with it, and they will refund your money no questions asked because they're so sure you're you are going to love it so please check out MacWeldon.com. use promo code cosmo and get 20% off your order so thank you to mac weldon um check them out and now let us get back to talking about michelle obama i think that's a perfect segue there right um so you wrote two big features for cosmo that were both about refugees um and I think we should talk about maybe. Well, I don't know. Is there one you want to talk about first?
1: Um, I think we'll, we can talk about maybe the Syrian family yeah. first because I think that the you know it's important for people to know, and this ties into what we were just talking about. That we are currently seeing the largest humanitarian crisis in the world since World War II, mm-hmm. um, in large part to due to the Syrian war that has expelled for, over four million people uh, from the country and you know killed two hundred thousand people and tw- you know has displaced 12 million which was half the country's pre-war population from their homes so so you talked to one you talked to a 32 year old woman named Salma who
0: fled Syria and is now living as an undocumented refugee in Jordan with her family um, so you talked to her about sort of that struggle and that experience and what was your you know the piece is really heartbreaking Um, It's live now on cosmopolitan.com and sort of talking about, you know, I think just sort of the what their life was like in Syria, the logistics of leaving and then sort of what their life is like now and sort of how do you, you know, on the note of education, how do you continue to live your life when you're in this place that isn't your home and in this place where you don't necessarily have all the legal paperwork that you need um what was your impression talking to her about her experience
1: well i mean i i think that you know she seemed she was i was i was honestly amazed by how um You know, deliberate and steady her speech was. I I mean, I I cannot imagine what it's like to go something so horrific, but she seemed very eager to talk about what had happened to her. Um, And it was interesting because every time we talked, you know, we had, I had a few conversations with the family. Um, It wasn't just one interview and they, you know, they all really wanted to talk about this experience and help people understand what it what this is like, you know, they were these are not easy things to talk about, you mm-hmm. know, and they're still living with the trauma. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated their openness and honestly felt, you know, very privileged and lucky to be able to you know, be be trusted with that and you know, it it definitely made me reflect on the sort of advantages that we have here. In advance of the trip, we knew we sort of knew what we wanted to focus on. And I contacted uh, Save the Children International, which is a really great NGO that helps provide educational services and development programs for kids, refugee uh, children and children affected by conflict and kids in depressed communities uh, who really need assistance. And one of the great things about this center was that they don't you know, they don't really care about your documentation status. So it's one of the few, it was one of the few lifelines that Salma and her family uh, had. And, you know, it was, it was still, still they needed so much, you know, there's still so much they don't have, but it was at least one thing in their life right now that is helping them. Um, So through Save the Children, um, we organized a visit at the center and They contacted the family and brought us together there. And that's where we interviewed her.
0: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And this is in Arabic, but I just want to play a short clip of her talking to you about her experience because I think to your point, you it's a heartbreaking story, but I think even just listening to it, you have a sense that she wants to be telling this story and she wants to sort of raise awareness about her experience. So I'm just going to play a second of this. The restaurant that we had with Hummus had a lot. Six days ago, it
1: was a job. After six days, we came out and we wanted to see the bread. It was a job. Six days ago, there was no food
0: um so basically that was her talking about a period of six days when they were at home in syria and they basically their surroundings sort of being bombed left and right and how devastating it was and basically that was the moment of sort of we have to leave we have to get out of here this isn't safe right so, Prachi, as you were talking to Sama and her family about, you know, this devastating experience and all the horrific things they lived through and why they were built, you know, why they are sort of working now to rebuild their lives in what can seem like a very hopeless situation, how does that connect back to this larger message of education and why, you know, with everything that they've gone through, why is education
1: still such a priority? I think that's a really, really good question. Um... What I what I learned and what I found out from talking to them is that they, you know, they had ambitions that were really, really achievable, like the way, you know, we, you know, just like you and me, like when we were, you know, 16 or 17, like they just saw themselves, you know, graduating high school and going to college, like those were not questions in their minds, like those were, yes, of course, I'm going to do that. And then thinking beyond that. Now, they're thinking so short term, like, They don't even know where they're going to be a year from now or even like a month from now if they're going to be deported back to Syria, you know, or or like if they're still going to be able to go to work and earn money. So education becomes this lifeline out of, you know, the new the poverty that they have found. And uh, one of the things that I, I learned from talking to both talking to the girls and then talking to um Ifa McDonald from the UNHCR is that education is so vital to rebuilding Syria and this generation, this is the generation that's going to have to do it. But if they're not in school, they're not learning, they're not gaining these skills that are essential to bring back resources and bring back things into the country once it's, once the, it, when the war ends. And that creates another, you know, there's a huge ripple effect to not having access to education right now. Um, and that's a big question mark for Syria. So even when the war ends, the effects of it are going to be there for so long on these families and for, for the entire country. One of the
0: things that I sort of wanted to ask you about is, do you think that she feels
1: hopeful you know, that's a good question, and it was something that I was wondering when I was interviewing her as well. I think that she does. I think that it's a situation where there's it's very hard to have hope, but it's also the one thing that she sort of needs to keep going. And I noticed from talking to her two of her children that she really provides hope for the rest of the family, um, Salma you know she's an incredible woman who is this who's gone through so much but she's also seen and knows what life was like before the war and there is a part of her who believes that that can happen again you know she's her children told me that you know they draw strength from her and sometimes they feel like what is the point of even you know one of her daughters studies math by watching YouTube videos because she can't go to school Mm -hmm. and she is spending all of her time working um And she doesn't have the proper documentation or ID to get into a school. So that's how she learns. And she feels that it's really hopeless to continue in education. But her mother says, you know, one day, like, God is great. Like, you will be able to find a way. Like, just stick with it. Like, you know, she's seen more and has really become that rock for her family. So, you know, to be that person in, in a family, I think you do have to be, you do have to have a lot of hope. I think that's
0: really well said, because you think about the end of war sort of being the end, but really, I think what you just sort of articulated is how the effects of what they're living through now, you know, unless this education piece is prioritized, you know, the effects of war last for decades longer than when it's actually happening. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about Layla, who you interviewed, who's a 25-year-old graffiti artist who... um is a Palestinian refugee who was born in a refugee camp um, and has a really amazing story about education and about um, sort of Becoming an artist and sort of using what she is doing and using her talent and using her background to try to sort of chip away at the expectations that people have for women in her society. Can you talk about meeting her and about what she's doing and why that's so important?
1: Totally. Uh, yeah, Layla, Layla Ajawi is her full name, and she's just such a badass. Uh, am I allowed to say badass? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, this this woman is so incredible and inspiring. Um, so, Layla lives in a, a Palestinian refugee camp that was founded in, I believe, 1951. Um, and she's a third-generation refugee. So, she, her parents were both born in refugee camps. That's where she was born. And, she, you know, she is from an impoverished community. And... Girls in, in Jordan, and you know, she her art is about empowering girls and some of the cultural norms that exist there. Um, you know, while actually in Jordan they have really great gender parity in their schools, but you see a really big drop off when it comes to entering the labor force. There are discriminatory laws. For example, um, women cannot. So, if a woman marries a Jordanian citizen who's a woman, if she marries a non citizen. That child, their child will not have citizenship rights. So, and in Jordan, not being a citizen means you don't get access to basic services. So you don't get public health care. You don't get, you know, affordable education. You have a temporary residency status. You have to, like, apply to live there every year. Um, you know, work per- work permits are harder to get. And it's so it's just harder to live, like, to do basic things.
0: And, and so how
1: is Layla using her art to draw attention to that? So she paints, you know, she paints really, like, strong... You know, I hate the phrase like "strong women" because it's so overused. And why is that an adjective in front of a woman? Um, mm-hmm. But she paints really like, big, large murals of women doing, like, just, like, taking up space and, like, rocking out and being empowered and being powerful. And you don't see a lot of that imagery on the streets, especially in her community. Um, So it's really sort of revolutionary new, like, what she's doing. And she's tapped into this greater activist community of other women uh, through an organization called Women on Walls that's doing the same thing. And, um, you know, her work is really important just just to see that there's a woman doing this Mm -hmm. is such a big thing um and then to see a woman who's creating these symbols and seeing people appreciate this art and now talking about oh like what does this mean and what is this woman doing and what is she saying it starts a conversation that wasn't necessarily happening before
0: sure and I think that's sort of I think there are two levels to what she's doing that's so important as you said you know there aren't a lot of female graffiti artist and she has built a following she has seven thousand facebook followers so she you know she's connected with this um bigger organization that's sort of connecting women that are doing this so on one hand she is this woman in a male dominated field and on another hand she's physically changing her environment she's creating these murals of strong women as you said strong women in quotes (laughs) um creating these sort of female um female-forward murals in public spaces that are literally changing the environment and changing what people see and prompting conversations. Um, So we have a, I'm just gonna play a little clip of Layla talking about what she does, and this is from the video that Prachi um, put together when she was interviewing her. Street art is dominated by men, in general. But uh, what's wrong with being a woman and doing that? So I love that. (laughs) What's wrong with being a woman and doing that? Um, So, you know, I think... we had sort of had a conversation when I was talking about this with you before about whether she would consider herself a feminist and probably not, but there's certainly, like, I think we can sort of look at that and see this real, like, feminist messaging happening.
1: Totally, yeah. You know, I did ask her that point blank, like, do you consider yourself a feminist? And she said no. You know, that was a very, like, politicized term to her, but I think labeling aside, she believes in gender equality and that, you know, she said that to me. She said... Why should you know she, she it was it was incredible. Like, you know, when I was twenty five, I was not nearly as with it as she mm-hmm. is. Um, and just the confidence that she has, like, you know, she's questioning it, you know everything about her her society and what she's been taught. And, you know, one of the things she said to me was that I didn't even want to get married at first because I didn't want to lose my independence, like in my culture. I would have had to probably be subservient and I didn't want to marry somebody who wouldn't encourage my art and wouldn't be my equal and wouldn't see me as an equal. And so she just decided that like, hey, marriage isn't for me then. And her mm-hmm. family, you know, to her family's credit, they really supported that. Right. Um, you know, but she is engaged, actually. And because she found somebody, you know, she wasn't willing to sacrifice her uh, her beliefs. And she found somebody who did see her for mm-hmm. that equal. She told me. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, labels don't matter so much as the core like message. And she, you know, really is committed to a message of equality and is hoping trying to help both men and women realize uh, realize that.
0: And how does what she's doing tie back to this larger conversation that we're having on this podcast and in the world about education?
1: Well, I think that she, in the video, um, she talks about this, but education was her first, like, glimpse to life beyond the refugee camp, so... In the refugee camp, the UNRWA runs services and, and, and health facilities and programs um, until a certain age, but then if you want to continue your education, you sort of have to go out of the camp, and her family prioritized that for her, so they were able to pay and you know save a lot of money to, to send her to school. And that's where she sort of discovered a lot of this stuff. She started joining leadership uh, groups and started doing workshops and started realizing that, oh, beyond the refugee community, people sort of look at you funny. Like they treat they don't some people discriminate against you. Like she started seeing that there was a stigma associated with where she was from that she had never really experienced before. And so that I think made her become slightly more political and slightly Mm -hmm. more engaged with the community around her um, to try to become an advocate for herself and for people like her. And I don't think that would have happened for her if she hadn't gone to school and gone outside of her community and been exposed to other cultures and and beliefs. And
0: had her eyes really opened.
1: Right. That's amazing.
0: Okay, so we have to talk about taking a selfie with Michelle Obama. What was it like to be in her orbit?
1: Um, You know, this is something that I was attempting to prepare for for a long time. (laughs) My editors told me to take notes on everything, like, what she smells like, what she's wearing. And and what does she smell like? Well, you know... (laughs) It was all a blur. It was all a blur, but I did definitely try to, like, creepily, like, smell her. Right. I could not... I couldn't figure it out. Right. So, you know, she smelled nice. (laughs) Um, It was sensory overload, I can imagine. But, um, you know, I think... You know,
0: you see Michelle on TV, you know, we see pictures of her all the time, and she does seem so powerful and so, like, such a presence. Did, did you have that sense of that when you were standing right next to her?
1: Yeah. I mean, she is, like, she comes across exactly the way you would think she, she would, mm-hmm. like, um, which was a really pleasant and nice surprise. I think that is rare. Especially when you're a person of such, you know, importance and prominence. Right. Um, There's usually an error about you or, you know, something that, but she was just totally disarming and totally, like, chill. Right. And it was, you know, it was really, it actually, I was over-prepared to, like, interview her and talk to her that it never occurred to me that she might just be so casual and then I was sort of like dumbfounded, and I didn't know what to say. like. I didn't know how to make small talk or right. anything because I was just so in the like. Okay, she's just going to want to do this and get out. But right. You had you your questions. I had my questions, questions and go. that was it. I was yeah. like, I'm not going to you know take up too much of her time. But she was so relaxed and was like you know joking around with everyone and talking and and uh, you know. That was really amazing. Right. I, was just, I was just so caught off guard by it. Yeah, you told
0: me you were—you had all these questions and you were completely prepared and then you were so caught off guard that she just wanted to chat that you ended up talking about the weather.
1: Yeah, literally like the three things the that you never... Small talk. Yeah, yeah, like that you just that make the worst small talk. Like, where are you staying? What's the weather like? <laughs> right, right. And you're like, oh my gosh, that was how I spent my 10 minutes with Michelle Obama. Yep. But
0: um, my favorite thing that happened when you met Michelle Obama is that you, so I'm in addition to hosting the Cosmo podcast, I oversee social media for Cosmopolitan and so we had sort of talked about what you would do social media wise before you left and you had this really fun idea about wanting to do a boomerang with Michelle. So boomerang is Instagram sort of new-ish, came out about two months ago app where you can essentially do a little like GIF video. So you had this really great idea. Talk, tell me about, or tell everyone about what your idea was to do this boomerang with Michelle Obama and what ended up happening.
1: Yeah, so we wanted to make a selfie, like do a selfie with her, but make it something that was a little bit more interesting or new or fresh. So um, boomerang had just come out and um, my boyfriend was like playing with it and showed me, showed it to me and I got like addicted immediately. Like I was taking boomerangs of everything. So I pitched it to the White House saying um, you know, what do you guys think about doing something like this? Like would she be interested? And the response was like, yeah, we love it. Um, you're just going to have to guide her through it. So so uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's we're both doing, an, upon Elisa's amazing suggestion, we're both doing, um, we're acting out like the hey girl, hey emoji. And we're doing that for Let Girls Learn. So it's on the Cosmo so, Instagram
0: feed. So yeah, check it out.
1: And And the process for how this happened was really funny because you know here I am like super nervous interviewing the first lady and I cannot for the life of me make good small talk and then it's time to take the selfie so I rush over to her and then because in my mind I'm like okay well I'm supposed to be guiding her through this I got like super bossy with her got super executive leadership skills sure yes absolutely uh, I wear my bossiness with pride yes. um, but I was basically like telling her what to do and where to put her head and being like no 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 not like that do it like this like and she, and she was very sweet and she just like went along with it and was like hey am I doing this right and I was like no and she was like you laid down the law <laughs> with like, Michelle Obama yeah and then afterwards I felt like I was like oh well, that was fun and and Nick our uh, our videographer was like girl you got balls and I'm like what are you talking about and he's like you're like telling her what to do <laughs> and then I saw the footage and I was like oh my god I was bossing around the first lady I felt really bad but I love that you you knew you had a job to do
0: you knew you needed to do this one second video of you guys acting out an emoji but it's so cute um you and Michelle I'm you know like first name basis you and Michelle um look so cute and it's just like I think it's a really sort of fun and very Cosmo-y way to sort of You know that's the like little empowerment emoji and I think it's cute to see you guys acting that out it's just one teeny tiny piece of this larger huge massive amazing in-depth heartbreaking emotional feature package that you put together for Cosmo so I think that's just such a fun story thanks yeah it was a lot of fun it was a huge honor too absolutely absolutely so um please everyone the stories are live now on cosmopolitan.com the videos are up there please watch them they're so amazing please watch them please share them um and prachi i want you to sort of end by shouting out your twitter handle so that if people want to follow
1: up with you or ask you questions they know where to find you absolutely um you can tweet at me at prachi p-r-a-c-h-i-g-u
0: Please check out Prachi's pieces on Cosmopolitan.com. Please tweet at her. Um, And thank you, Prachi, so much for joining me and telling me about your incredible trip and for um, sharing it all with Cosmo readers.
1: Thanks so much for having me and thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys check out the stories. See you guys next week.